Today on Rafi Reviews, Rafi Reviews, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Alright, this one was a bit of a long time coming. I, I know this movie came out like a month and a half ago, but uh, your boy is on a budget. <laughs> Thankfully, it came out on streaming for Paramount+, Plus, and we watched it last week, myself and uh, my wife Macy, and we had a pretty good time with it, so we're going to talk about it, well, I'm going to talk about it today. She's playing The Sims. So, um, we're going to start with the cast. Um, I've kind of split it into two because there's a whole lot. It's a big voice cast. Um, we have some notes. We have the future of this new Turtles franchise. And uh, everything in between. I, I do want to start with my, uh, my grade for this, right? In case you want to wait on listening to this before, or, you know, after you watch the movie, you can listen to this. Um... So just generally speaking, my grade is uh, check it out uh, when you're ready. I'm just going to add that when you're ready part. Um, I do think you should see this. Um, I don't think you should put off everything to go see it, you know. Um, it's it's worth waiting for, especially because it is on streaming now. I, I don't imagine it's going to leave streaming very soon. Um and that's kind of my general idea for any kind of relationship you have with the Turtles going into this, right? If you're a diehard fan of the Turtles, if you are trying to, like, introduce your kids to the Ninja Turtles, um, if you can never really get into it, and this is kind of your first foray, right? You, you're like, I want to get into Turtles. I'll see this new movie. Um, I would say across the board, this is, this is going to hit kind of every demographic, right? Even if you've never heard of the Turtles, um... I think this is a pretty good intro to this brand. And thankfully on Paramount Plus, um, they have all the other, like most of the other turtle like related shows and movies to check up to. So if you see this and you want to check out other stuff, um, maybe just for the spice of it, I'll give you kind of like brief recommendations, right? Um, the first turtle movie, I think it was in 97, maybe earlier, maybe like 93. Um, but the first live-action movie, I recommend that. That's a very good one. Uh, the sequel is not as good, but still pretty fun. Um, in 2007, I think, was the CG animated movie, TMNT. That was, that was a good one. The 2003 show that was on Fox Kids. I know that's on Paramount as well. Um, I didn't really care for the... I mean, I like the 2012 one here and there, but there's, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's up there. I like The 2012 one is fine. And then the one they did a after, um, I think it was 2016, uh, that was a good show too. So, I think all in all, most of the Turtle shows have been pretty good. Most of the movies. I, I don't like the live act, like the, I don't like the later <laughs> Michael Bay ones or anything. Um, but this, this I liked a lot. I was very, uh, I was very happy that I was disappointed by this. Um, you can tell it's made, I mean, I, I think it's produced by Seth Rogen. So, like, you can, you can tell that the people behind it really care about this brand and these characters. And I think that this is a really fresh take on the Turtles that, like, it kind of, it kind of does what Spider-Man Homecoming does, where it feels like they're kind of cutting around the fluff and just, like, not doing what's typical for the sake of focusing on things that are great about the characters, right? 
and we'll get more into that later. But we're going to start with the cast. Again, I split this in two because it's going to sound messed up, but some of these char characters definitely fade more into the background despite the voice cast for them being pretty heavy, like pretty stacked, right? Um, so you have Nicholas Contu as Leo, Brady Noon as Raphael. Sorry, I should probably... Nicholas Contu as Leonardo, Brady Noon as Raphael, Micah Abbey as Donatello, and Shimon... Shimon... Shaman? Shimon Brown Jr. as Michelangelo. Um, these are the four turtles. And I think, you know, it's kind of nice that with the with this version of the turtles, it kind of feels like they took their defining character attributes and made them a bit more realistic. Um, something that you're going to notice in this movie, even from the trailers, is that they are focusing way more on the teenager part as opposed to, like, the ninja part, right? Because actually getting, like, teenagers to voice these characters and just kind of letting them riff and, and ad-lib a lot of their stuff, like, it, it, it helps really draw, like, who these characters are, you know, what is their age range and, you know, what they act like. Like, they act like teenagers, and it's, it's refreshing. Um, that's not to say that other turtles through movies and TV shows don't have qualities of teenagers, but the aspects of being a teenager that are tapped on in this movie feel very fresh, and they don't feel like... It, they really feel like the focus of the movie, you know? But, like, it's a lot of things. Like, uh, Raphael is typically the one with a short fuse. He's got an easy temper. And in this, they very heavily focus on the idea that he's just going stir-crazy. That he has all this energy and he can't, you know, do anything with it. He's, he's stuck in a sewer all his life. Um... Donatello, he's typically, you know, the, the really smart one. But you don't really see him, like do anything super smart he's not rewiring circuit boards or building time machines or anything he's but like he's the one that can drive a car you know he's the one who you know you see him interacting with technology the most and then i mean mikey i guess mikey's the the friendly one you see him be the most friendly in this movie and then leo it's interesting with leo because you know i feel like of the four, he ha he has, like, the smallest fan base, you know? And I, I feel like there's a large portion of fans of Turtles who see him as, like, the worst one because he's just, he's the leader, he's the stickler, he's boring. Um, and I've seen so many Turtle shows and movies try to do, like, okay, here's our take on Leo. Here's what we're going to do that is going to make Leo likable and it's going to make him not just come down to being the generic leader type who's boring. Like, here's here's our fix for Leonardo. And I really like what they do in this to kind of circumvent that, which is, you know, they make him kind of the narc, but they also make him, like, the one who's kind of reserving most fear, you know? It's like, he is such a stickler for the rules and the way things should be, and he is a narc. And, you know, his other brothers bust his chops for a lot of the things that he does. And it's only, you know, he only does that stuff to keep his brothers safe, you know? And there's scenes towards the beginning of the movie, and this is what really kind of got me into thinking this this uh, stuff. They're basically out at night, and they're, they go to, like, a college campus. 
and they're watching from a rooftop because there's like an outside um like movie like a, not like a drive-in theater but like you know kids are sitting on the grass watching a movie being projected on a wall or something and the turtles are watching and leo is looking at all these kids and he he's like oh man look at them they all they all have somebody right so they kind of make him you know, a bit of a lonely person. He talks about how it'd be nice to have a girlfriend. In this movie, he's the one that falls in love. Um, but, like, that whole scene... And it, it's it's interesting because for as much as they are individuals, this movie makes the Turtles feel like one entire character. Because in that moment, when they're going home from seeing this movie and seeing all these happy kids, you know, all they can think about is how they're not part of that world. You know, they kind of Disney princess them a little bit where they're walking home in the sewers and, and they can see the cityscape and they can, you know, see people walking around and having fun and they, they can't be part of that, you know? And that, you know, touch of, like, the lonely element of being what they are is interesting. And it's such a a vast difference between basically every other show and movie. When you see the turtles adventuring through the sewers, they're, like, skateboarding and running and, and kind of ribbing each other. Um, there are a few moments in other movies and stuff where it's like they're sitting in a sewer kind of, uh, contemplating, you know, they're, they're a bit more introspective, but in this, just the lonely walk home through the sewer really tells you like, oh, these guys are, you know, this is a miserable way to live, you know? Um, but yeah, I think the turtles are all really good in this. Um, I, I think it's one of those situations where it's like, these characters only really work together, you know? It's kind of hard for me to imagine, at least, at least in this point, these characters kind of going off on their own. Like, they have to go through a lot of development to before I could be like, okay, they might not need to lean on each other as much as they need to now, right? Um, and I will say to, to, to the thing about Leo again, maybe we'll, we'll save that for when we get to April, but yeah, I, I think the turtles are very good in this. Um, I would say the, the biggest name that's, like, a main cast member here, uh, is Splinter, who is voiced by Jackie Chan. Uh, I love Jackie Chan. I grew up watching a lot of his stuff, uh, Rush Hour, Drunken Fist, um, The Tuxedo, uh, Jackie Chan Adventures on Fox Kids. Like, I was a big, I was a big Jackie Chan fan. Um, and, and you know, I, I think voice acting is a... It's an interesting direction that his career has kind of gone into. I know he still does action here and there, but, you know, he, he did, like, uh, the Kung Fu Panda movies. I think he voiced a character in those. He was a character in, like, the Lego Ninjago movie and stuff. So it's nice that he is, I think, getting more comfortable doing voice acting. It would be kind of amazing if we got, like, a Jackie Chan's Adventures, like, revival, and he voiced, like, his cartoon, like... um what's the word counterpart right because jackie chan adventures was a, a cartoon about the fictional life of jackie chan it'd be great if he voiced himself in something like that um i actually don't know who voices jackie chan in the cartoon but i'm very sure it's not jackie chan himself um maybe i'll look into that but jackie chan as splinter is a good choice i would say splinter's had a very tumultuous uh voice cast like uh history like the turtles in general have all had some of the great uh, voice actors voice them all, you know. I know Rob Paulson has voiced both Raphael and Donatello. Uh, Seth Green has voiced a turtle. Uh, oh, God, what is... Greg Sipes, who does Beast Boy, he, he voiced Michelangelo and almost does the same affliction, but still, it's fine. Um, 
so yeah, there's this like wrong, wrong, really long running history of the Turtles cast having really good voice actors, and Splinter is a very good example of that. I think Mako uh, had had voiced him. Um, I forget who voiced him on the 2012 show, but he was very good too. But yeah, just quality voices all around, and 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 Jackie Chan is again no exception to that tradition. I think he does a terrific job capturing like a worried father. Uh, capturing a nostalgic, like, you know, like th- this Splinter is very different from other Splinters in terms of his background. This Splinter, apparently, for all we know, was only ever a rat that got goo on him and turned into a rat man. And it, like, the way the lines are delivered for Splinter are really good. Like, when he's telling the origin story for these characters, he's talking about how the ooze turned him into a rat man. And he's like, because I was an older rat, I became an old rat man. And because you were baby turtles, you became baby turtle boys. And it makes, and when you think about it, it just makes sense. Um, it's really good. I really like this, this, the version of Splinter. Um, and like, it's interesting because I didn't say this much with the turtles, but like when they actually do get to fighting and using the ninjutsu that they've learned and everything, they're not good at it. They get better over time, the turtles, you know. But in their first fight, they stumble a lot. And it's like, I like that a lot because at least this version of the turtles, they, they practice martial arts their entire life. But practicing and actually executing aren't the same thing. You know, you could practice for something for years and then actually do it in real life and it could go horribly wrong and not the way that you planned it. That's just how things go. And so having that happen to the Turtles was really good, but also having that happen to Splinter was really good. Because in the one fight scene that Splinter gets involved in, he's clearly better than the Turtles, but he still messes up. He's still, like, taking hits and, you know, you know he's, he's having to catch up to the people that he's fighting, you know? Which I, I like that a lot because, I don't know... It, that's not to say that a turtle, like, like, when the turtles are properly trained and they're super cool ninjas or whatever, they still lose fights. But I think when you're starting from this point, like, we're at the beginning, um, I, I would say, like, you know, the the biggest thing they fight is a giant monster. And to put them, it's like, it's like an escalation thing. You would think that when the problems get bigger, the turtles get better at fighting. So they they need to start kind of low. And Splinter should be no exception to that. Um, but he's really good. I, I love the aspect of Splinter being so overprotective. He's kind of stunting the turtle's growth. Um, we really don't get... Usually with Splinter, we get, like, he's the wise old sage who can do no wrong, who only wants what's best and everything. We hardly ever get a fallible Splinter. We hardly ever get a version of Splinter who, you know, is guilty and, and has made mistakes, and whose actions, you know, affect the Turtles in a negative way, and, and a Splinter that owns up to his shortcomings. Um, I think that's super important for trying to create a modern family unit out of these characters, is acknowledging that just because he's the parent, and he's protective, and he wants what's best for his kids, it doesn't mean that everything he does is right. You can feel bad for him, and you can sort of understand where he's coming from, but for him to kind of mature up by the end of the movie and be like, just because I don't like humans and I had a bad experience, 
like doesn't mean I shouldn't let you you kids have a chance, you know? Um and I think that's super important for the message of this movie, um, which I think is in my notes later, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the the message a little bit later. But <sighs> yeah, Splinter's super good in this. I really like this version of him. Okay, and then we have uh, April O'Neil, who is voiced by Ayo Edibiri. I think that's how her name's pronounced. Um, April's good in this. Again, they weren't afraid to make April, um, like, fallible, I guess. Give her some some qualities that she has to kind of improve on. Not just, like... Because her, her main thing in this is, like a like, a stage fright to the point where she had puked on, on, like, her live school TV and it ruined her reputation. But there's also this thing of, like, April wants to be friends with these turtles, but she she also is almost, like, profiting off of their work to repair her reputation. Um, and, you know, that is brought up, you know, she... She does kind of admit to her her shortcomings, which is good. Again, if you're, you know, you're going to be reinventing these characters, I don't want them to just be kind of one note. I don't want them to not see the flaws in themselves. Um, And a lot of the turtles, without me saying too much, a lot of the turtles reflect on that too, reflect on their own, you know, shortcomings and their their own things they they have to improve on. Um, But yeah, April's pretty good in this. Uh, She's funny. I love the way that she kind of... uh, like, her interactions with the Turtles are, are, are very good, right? It helps that this is one of those things where she's the same age as the Turtles as opposed to being older. Um, I really don't mind one way or the other. I think it just depends on how it's executed. And I think this April is perfectly fine. She's funny. Um, I think that her... When she meets the Turtles, it's really interesting because she wants to be a journalist, so she's asking them questions like, do you guys have ears? Um, you know, do you, do you sweat? Like how, like how does anything work basically? Um, I think that's really cool. I I think, you know, that is realistic, especially in the case of like, this is a teenager who has something different in front of them and all they want to do is know more and ask questions and, and, and write stuff down and be like, what I, I need to understand what's going on here. And my mind is racing, you know, excuse me. Yeah, April's good in this. Um, the thing with April, <clears throat> and this is more of a Leonardo thing, and like, so I don't know if this is like a flaw. It might just be a personal thing I have with this movie. So, <clears throat> I'm weird about when the Ninja Turtles have romantic feelings for April O'Neil, right? And part of that is because in most versions of the Turtles, like, um, lore, April and a character named Casey Jones have a relationship. And I like that relationship a lot. You know, there's... I am someone who grew up watching Ben 10, so there's a lot of sort of Casey Jones and April O'Neil in uh, Kevin Levin and Gwen Tennyson. So just generally, I like that kind of relationship... um, aspect, uh, relationship, uh, what's the word, trope? I don't know. You know, but smart girl and caveman guy. Like, I just like that trope. <sighs> but even outside of that, right, even if they never introduce Casey Jones and that's just something they're not going to do in these movies ever or whatever, um, I don't know how I feel about it. 
I guess if it's like a developing thing, that's not a problem. Like the turtles are people, even if they're not literally human. But they're intelligent life forms who would form relationships with other people. You know, I, I, okay, I've been sitting on this movie pitch for like six years about the turtles like growing up into adults and having like different lives separate from each other. And like the idea that the turtles would have romantic relationships with humans is, you know, not out of the question, but doing it this way where like Leo, again, this is going to sound weird. Leo has like a love at first sight moment when it comes to April and I don't know, dude, that's just, it's, it's like, it's like if your dog was like into your friend, you know what I mean? Like if you had a male dog who saw like your female friend and was like into her and not in like a instinctual way. It's like if your dog was as smart as you are and was into her. You know, maybe I don't know. There's like a blurred line thing there where it's like it would cuz like it'd be different if Leo met her and developed feelings cuz then it's like, oh okay, they're two you know, they're two people. This is what people do, you know? It's just that, you know, but having it be that he sees her because if he saw a turtle and was like, oh, that's a cute turtle. I'm going to hit that turtle up. That'd be a different story. Because <laughs> he's not half human, half turtle. He's all mutated turtle. You know? Um, so, like, it just... It's weird. I, I never liked when they do this. They do this with Michelangelo in the Michael Bay movies. They did this with Donatello in the 2012 show. Um, and, and, like... I just I always read the Turtles and April's relationship as siblings, right? Especially when it's an adult April O'Neil, because then it feels like she's an older sister to these four idiot kids, you know? And I love that kind of uh, relationship, you know? And that kind of that kind of slots Splinter in as like a parental figure for April without April having to depend on Splinter, you know? It, it, it like it gives Splinter someone to talk to that isn't, like, a teenager or his son. It's someone that he can talk to as an adult. Um, and that, you know, that leaves Casey Jones open. Like, that kind of... These six characters all together, I think, like, typically have really good connections to each other. But when you have April... We have one of the girls be interested in April like that. It feels weird. And it and it always feels weird because they can never just from the get go. Not Mondo Gecko, he comes later, but they can never just like from the from the jump. They can never just do a thing where it's like, April's the one attracted to a turtle, because that would be weird, right? Unless they got to know each other. But like what I'm saying is, every time it happens, it's a turtle, who's attracted to April, and is kind of like trying to make that relationship happen and it's always kind of creepy because april is never attracted to the turtle early enough like again they've done versions of this where at least in the 2012 show april eventually reciprocates the feelings but it's been way too much time and it's kind of like has she always had these feelings 
or is it more like they developed and she just doesn't want to admit that like you know i had to get past the the part where you're a turtle and they actually look at you as a person like they don't want to have that conversation so like it, it, it falls apart for me in that aspect and the thing is i don't know what's going to happen in these movies or the show continuation of these movies you know for all i know april will become a, a turtle too you know or the turtles will be able to turn human at will you know something but and who knows april might develop feelings just based on the kind of person that leonardo is but until we get there it's weird for me but that's my hang up i guess um i want to mention this character too because they're kind of important um maya rudolph plays cynthia ultram you utram utram um if you're not a turtles fan then you're like okay whatever she's a generic government evil lady that wants the mutant gen to create an army of soldiers right pretty typical but if you know your turtle stuff well enough, you'll recognize that last name. Um, Utrum is an alien uh, race. And it's the alien race that the character Krang belongs to. So either Cynthia is a human who just has the name as a reference, or she's an alien in disguise as a human, which they've done before. So I guess we'll see. I wanted to mention her, though, because... Uh, you know, they set up this whole thing where she and her, like, government... Ta I think it's, like, TCRI in this one. Um, they're, like, hunting down mutants, and, and they want the mutant gen for themselves, and then they milk the turtles, which is gross. Um, I think it's a very good, like, realization of a problem we've always had with the turtles in terms of, like, a threat that could always, like, show up and, and, and get them. Is, like... Yeah, no, if these turtles were just walking around, the, the government would get involved, you know? And we kind of get to see that in this movie. And, you know, it's like, it's a real downer of a part. I'm not saying it's, like, disgusting and gross. It's just like, oh, man, like, these kids, like, the turtles are, like, scared in this moment, you know? Um, and I think that that's just, like, a testament to the writing and the the pacing of this. Is like, everything halts when they're arrested by the government. And it's, like... It's it, it's like too close to home as to what would happen in this kind of situation. Um, but that's just like your secondary villain. The actual villain, as we you know know and everything, is uh, Superfly, who is voiced by Ice Cube. And he's cool, dude. <laughs> Ice Cube does a really good job as this villain. He's super fun. I know in a lot of interviews for this, uh, Seth Rogen and Ice Cube, like, hung out and, and, like, did interviews and stuff. Um, he's really good. I really like, I really like Superfly. And it's funny, too, because Superfly, he's kind of an original character. Like, the whole Fly thing is a Baxter Stockman thing, but he's related to Baxter Stockman, but he's also his own character. So it, it feels kind of original in the way that they, that they decided to do it. Um, but, you know, by the end they do this thing where they compare, um, cause Superfly has like this whole army, not an army, but like he's got his whole gang of mutants that he considers his family and he took care of them from like their birth and he wants to make the world better for them. But at the same time, he, he thinks he knows better than them. When, when his mutant family try to stop him, he still fights back thinking that he knows better than they do. And he's trying to protect them and stuff. Um, 
in that moment is important because Splinter is listening and he's like, oh man, Superfly sounds just like me, where he's just like ignoring what his family wants for the sake of protecting them. And that's not, you know, what family is about. It's about supporting each other. Um, so that, that like the message of what family is supposed to be and, and fighting against kind of the, the toxic aspects of family, that's a very common thing right now. You know, Encanto has that written all over it. But to have this reflection where, again, a character mostly known for being the wise elder... Um, you know, realizes they're in the wrong because of what they reflect and what they learn off of the villain who's basically doing the same thing. So in that aspect, Superfly does a really good job, you know, just being a character in the story. Um, and just like, oh man, he, like the tone changes so hard when Superfly goes into his plan and what he wants the world to look like. Um, and almost inadvertently... Um, Superfly's, like, plan is, like, I don't want to say a metaphor for, but, like, it, it, it is reminiscent of the oppression of animals. Like, Superfly's plan is to turn the whole world's animals into mutants, and then the humans would be enslaved or killed off. And he's saying stuff like, we'll have humans that are, you know, do, like, the, the racetracks, like horses and dogs used to do. Or we'll have, like, beauty pageants for the humans. And, like, you know, we'll we'll basically treat them as commodities. Like, like people treated animals. Um, and, like, he didn't, he didn't go this far in saying it. But I assume in this version of things, like, people would be eaten. You know, or enslaved. Or, like, again, turned into pets. Or, you know, just kind of, you know, killed for sport. You know, because that's what people do to animals. So, I mean... It would have been interesting. I mean, Superfly isn't dead by the end of this movie, so they could easily bring him back. But it's interesting to have a character like Superfly kind of exhibit what, like, animal rights activists, you know, the extremist version of that, you know? It's interesting. It's an interesting take. I haven't seen that in a, in a Turtles-related um, show or movie. But, you know, just as a threat as a, a force, you know, as a gang leader, Superfly is a super compelling villain. Uh, I'm really glad that we got this, this character out of this. I think, I think Superfly is gonna be pretty well remembered in, like, the overall tur turtle, um, history? Yeah, history. He's historical like that. Okay, so like I said before, one of the things about this movie is it has a stacked cast, right? They love to do the thing where they do the trailer, and they have a wall of text being like, this guy is this guy, this guy is this guy, this guy, you know, like, this is how many names we got in this, <laughs> like Seth Rogen right now, this is how many names we got in this fucking movie right now. Because <laughs> um, it's pretty loaded, you know, because you not only need to have um, the turtles, you need to have secondary characters like Splinter and April, uh, but you also need to have like uh, your villain, like Superfly and, and, and Cynthia Utram. Oh, but uh, you also need, like, the gang that Superfly rolls with, which is, like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight characters. You need eight characters to to be in this, too. But also you need, like, secondary villains like Stockman. Like, it's a big cast, and it's, like, you know, I, I get that that's part of it, is, like, having a loaded cast. Like, you know, they, they do this for movies all the time now. 
Um, but I'm briefly going to go over these these characters. Not, like, full-on go over these characters, but just, you know, actor, character, the vibe they give off, that whole thing. You know, the vibe check, you might say. This is this is the vibe check portion of my Turtles reveal. Um, this guy isn't so much part of... Because most of these characters are, like, part of Superfly's gang of mutants. They're, they grew up with him. Um, but their kind of creator, their original father is uh, Baxter Stockman, typically a scientist character in these turtle things. Uh, most of the time he's a bad guy. In this, he was just some lonely dude who wanted to create a family for himself, like Professor Utonium style. Um, he's voiced by... I know this actor, but his name's kind of hard for me. Giancarlo Esposito? Terrific actor. Um, it, which is crazy they got him for this role, because it's so brief, his role in this. Um... <clears throat> But the actual mutants that came from his experiments, we have Paul Rudd, who voices Mondo Gecko. Love that. Love Paul Rudd. Mondo Gecko's a lot of fun. Uh, he's cool. Seth Rogen voices Bebop, who is a warthog, because Seth Rogen likes to voice warthogs now. That's, like, part of his his brand, I guess. Uh, there's, there's a little too much uh, camera work on this warthog's man-boobs with uh piercings um john cena is rock steady that's just you know of course of, of course john cena's in a movie that's like animated right of course he'd be in that movie but also of course he voices the rhino that's awesome um natasha dementrio as wingnut i don't know this actress very well uh wingnut's cool it's like a robot bat so that's exciting <laughs> uh fucking post malone as ray ray fillet what i love it i love post malone i listen to his music i love that ray fillet's whole character is he just wants to be post malone um and i love that ray fillet ray fillet's catchphrase is just his fucking name he's the kite man of this movie ray fillet he just does that all the time and like if it wasn't so funny it would be annoying um but what is he he's like a stingray i think yeah, because he's because he's Ray Fillet. Um, Rose Byrne, haven't heard of her either. She always is Leatherhead. Um, Leatherhead, I know I know Leatherhead pretty well from other turtle stuff. He's like a mutant alligator. This one, I'm pretty sure this one Leatherhead is is a woman. I mean, voiced by a woman. I don't want to make a, an assumption to anything. Um, Australian in this one, I guess, keeping to the voice actress herself. Um, it's fine, you know. Leatherhead wears like night vision goggles and stuff, and I don't really, I don't really get it. Maybe it's a maybe it's an Australian thing. I don't really get the because it's like a raincoat, rain hat, night vision goggles. Maybe she's a a gully hunter or something. I don't know. Not my favorite version of Leatherhead, but whatever, it gets a pass. It's fine. Uh, and then Hannibal Burris voices Genghis Frog. Okay, if you say so. I've maybe heard him talk to, twice. I don't know. What a waste of Hannibal Burris, I'll say that much. I'm Genghis Frog, everyone's favorite Turtles character. <laughs> and then Alex Hirschk as a scumbug, who had, it was a cockroach, I think. Um, they, they straight up say that scumbug is a woman cockroach, uh, and that Splinter's attracted to her, and they hook up at the end of the movie. Um, I will say points for acknowledging that Splinter is probably twice as lonely as Leo. You know, he's been alive way longer, and he, you know, 
I think throughout the movie, you see him reading romance novels, so Splinter really does just want, like, to get hitched, I guess. Um, okay. Character's fine, I guess. Like, what, what can you say about a character who Scumbug only makes, like, Tasmanian devil noises? What, what more can you say about this character? Um, but yeah, these characters are Superfly's gang, other than Baxter Stockman. All the mutants here are part of uh, Superfly's gang. Jeez, what's that sound? Um, and then, what's the other thing? In the comics, I know this. Other than Superfly, a lot of these characters... Well, okay, other than Superfly, Bebop... Because Bebop and Rocksteady typically work with Splinter. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they did that in the future, maybe. Um, but to my knowledge, Mondo Gecko, Wingnut, Ray Filet, Leatherhead... Maybe Leatherhead. Genghis Frog, and maybe Scumbug. Most of these characters, to my knowledge, end up being on a super team called the Mighty Mutanimals. Uh, who have their own adventures separate from the Turtles. Uh, I don't know if they'll end up doing that. We'll talk about that later uh, for a couple reasons. But they've really just kind of front-loaded this with... Like, they picked a good selection of mutant characters to include. Um, but holy moly, this is just a, a huge cast, dude. And and the sacrifices that a lot of these characters come off one note, and, unless you're Leatherhead, in which you come off as no note. All right. We got to the notes portion, which is just kind of a, some slapshot ideas I had when watching this movie. I love the animation, right? I've, I've heard from, out like, you know, before this movie came out, I heard a lot of stuff of like, oh, it's kind of doing like the Spider-Verse thing. I don't know. I mean, in as much as that it's a very well animated CG movie, maybe, right? But the art style itself is really strong. It has kind of this sketchbook... Um, very colorful, very, like, exaggerated features, uneven angles and lines, very stylistic. Um, I would say, you know, unless you're, like, a main character, like, there's a lot of just, like, personality. Well, I don't say that. That sounds bad. Every personality has, has design, but anyone that isn't a main character has, like, some very quirky design elements, right? We'll say that. Um... And there's little things to kind of reinforce aspects of the characters. Um, Master Splinter wears glasses, right? Because he's an old man. Donatello wears glasses because he's the nerd. Mikey has braces to kind of illustrate that he's the youngest of the turtles. Raph is built kind of wider. I don't know if that's to portray that he's the old. Like I don't. I don't know if he's the oldest in the version, but it, at least it shows that he's. You know the most temperamental and most violent is to make him the wide, uh, kind of, I don't know, deep voice one, I guess. Um, but yeah, they, they do some interesting stuff with, uh, these character designs. Uh, and yeah, the sketchbook stuff is really cool. It, it really harkens back to, like, when these characters are created in comic books, like this kind of sketch line design stuff. Uh, yeah, it's really cool. The animation's really good in this movie. Um, we talked about how different the origin is, and I, I like that. I appreciate that. Um, I do like... If I had to pick, right, if I had a preference, I prefer when the turtles being ninjas kind of plays more into the world, right? It has something to do with the Foot Clan. It has something to do with, like, uh, what is it? Splinter once being a dude who knows, like a, like a ninja himself, you know? Like being a human ninja, you know... It, the turtles have vastly different origins across the board, but 
for what they were doing in this story, I think they made the right choice focusing away from the ninja aspect, right? Um, again, the turtles feel like teenage characters in this, which is really good. Uh, that even plays to the fact of them wanting to go to school and interact with other teenagers. That's really good. I like that. Uh, we talk about Superfly's, you know, dark plan that has, like, you know, elements of the animal oppression. Sheltered family, uh, kind of equaling a toxic family. That's a big thing. Um, oh, one of my favorite lessons, like, the lesson for this movie is one of my favorites that they do in fiction, is that doing the right shit, uh, excuse me, doing the right thing should be done regardless of the reason. Like, they make a big deal of being like, oh, the turtles become superheroes and stop, like, gang violence and stuff, so that the city of New York will appreciate them and look past, you know, how different they are. And they'll be heroes, which means they won't be hated by people. Um, when in actuality, the Turtles should have been stopping these crimes and saving New York just because it's the right thing to do, right? That that doing the right thing shouldn't have a reward. Doing the right thing is the reward, you know? Um, and that's something the Turtles have to learn. That's something that April learns. Uh, now, I do think it's... I don't want to say it's muddled. Per, per se, right? Because they do get what they want by the end, where they are recognized as heroes um, and they are welcomed into human society. I guess you could make the thing of like, well, they couldn't get what they wanted until they realized that they were fighting for the wrong thing anyway. You know? Um, and plus, you know, if we didn't have that, that direction, because it's also like, they have to learn, you know, that they shouldn't be heroes to win people over so when they start being heroes and they start winning people over it's because they stopped trying to do that you know um but like towards the end of this movie there's the like <laughs> there's the whole like new york working together trope right that you see in like a couple different spider-man movies do this um where the the new yorkers help the turtles get like you know the winning MacGuffin into the giant monster. Um, and it's done really well. I really like that part. Uh, it's, it's a very like earnest way to like end the climax of a movie is to have a whole city working together with the heroes. Uh, I think that's really cool. But, uh, yeah, the, the lesson here is pretty good. Um, oh, there's tons of references in this. I didn't write everything down, but some of the ones that stuck out for me, um, there's, of course, like, during one of the first fights between the Turtles and some humans, uh, Vanilla Ice's Go Ninja Go comes on a radio, which is really cool. Um, what else? They're, the classic Turtle designs, were like, the, the Eastman layered ones, uh, they show up in sort of, like, Leonardo's, like, fantasy of, like, what... Is it Leonardo's Donatello's? I think it's Donatello's fantasy of... Like, the Turtles becoming welcomed by society. Like, they have their old-school designs in this fantasy moment. Um, and then the, the big one I noticed, and maybe this isn't even a reference, but towards the end of this movie, they think they beat Superfly. Superfly is crushed by debris, and then when he comes back out of the ocean, he's bigger and stronger, and they have to fight him again. Um, which, to me, is very reminiscent of the end of uh, Ninja Turtles 2 where Splinter is crushed by debris, he gets access to some ooze, and he becomes stronger and harder to fight. Um, 
So, I mean, in my head canon, that is a direct reference to that movie. All right, let's talk about the future of this new franchise, this bold new direction for this new franchise. Apparently, we're getting a cartoon spinoff of this. Um, I'm assuming it's going to fall between the first movie and the sequel, which they did say they're going to do a sequel. Um, okay, I'm kind of hesitant on the idea, unless it's like a, a slice of life cartoon, right? You give me like a you give me like an eight episode slice of life animated series about these turtles trying to fit into like New York high school. That'd be great. I'd love that. Don't even use the other characters. Just have the, the turtles in a school setting done, you know? <laughs> like, that'd be cool. Um, we know we're getting Shredder, right? They referenced him at the end of this movie. Um, that's a big one. I'm very curious how that's going to work. Uh, I'd like Casey Jones. I like Casey Jones as a character a lot. Um, the question is, is he going to be a student at this school? Is he going to be, like, his own vigilante that, like, Raphael ends up teaming up with? You know, that'd be kind of interesting. Almost like if they framed Casey Jones as being, like, a Punisher type, that would be kind of cool. Because then it's like, the Turtles have to decide between being, like, hardcore vigilantes like Casey Jones, or keeping their new mundane like school lives that would be pretty cool especially especially if they're gonna run this leonardo april thing like you might as well use casey and you might as well do something different with him that has nothing to do with with april and neil you know um what off uh spin-off stuff um it'd be kind of cool if april got like maybe a, a short mini series on like paramount plus like her own animated thing um Especially because you have a lot of spinoff characters, another a lot of characters related to April, like in the old shows, she had like a she had like a camera guy, she had like a, a fellow reporter that worked with her, um, they had like a whole news van situation, you know, it'd be kind of cool. If she got like a show, you kind of show her being like an intern at News Channel Five, and uh, yeah, you can introduce some of those like news related characters and, and do a little series with her. That'd be fine. Um, use a more kind of down-to-earth villain for that show, like, like, uh, the Mute Engine Man or the Purple Dragons. That'd be kind of fun. Um, my question with Casey, too, is, like, if you, I think you either do the, like, he's basically the Punisher and the Turtles have to, you know, try to get him to chill out and, like, be a person and not be a, you know, psychopath on the streets. If you don't do that and you make him a teenager... You can make him, like, the rebellious kid who, like, is basically, like, shelved onto April's news team. You know? Like, as a form of, like, uh... What's the word? Like, not community service, but, like, you need the extra credits, otherwise you'll get held back again. So, we're forcing you to go on the news team where you'll eat... Where you'll meet April O'Neil and, you know, that whole relationship can develop, um... But even that would be kind of cool. Even even if it, okay, so here's like the merging of that. The merging of that is you do Casey Jones in the sequel, um, or even in the show that'd be fine. But in the sequel, you have it be that like Casey Jones is a teenager at the school who is failing in all these grades and stuff. At night, he's doing vigilante stuff, wearing a mask, and he develops this like hate, like a love hate relationship with the turtles. Where it's like, at school, the turtles don't like him. 
right? He's in April's news club. He's kind of a jerk. Um, Leo is very much like, I don't want April falling in love with this guy. Oh, no. Um, and then on the other side, it's like, oh, man, this vigilante's helping us. We should, you know, work with him. Oh, he's kind of violent. That's kind of weird. Like, you could really make Casey a vocal point of the next Turtles story, whether or not you use um, something like Shredder in it, you know? Um, but yeah, you can tell I'm a big fan of Casey Jones. Um, what else? Uh, oh, okay, so so outside of that, the Mighty Mutanimals, what are we going to do with these characters, right? Because why would you set them up? Why would you have them join the Turtles at the end of this movie if they're just going to sit in the sewer all the time, you know? Because um, there's so many of them. Like, you could give them their own show. Mondo, Gecko, and, and, you know, four of these other guys. But, like, could you? You know, that that's kind of the problem with having such a stacked cast. Is, like, unless you're doing a film called The, Might, the Mighty Mute Animals, are you going to be able to get back, you know, freaking Paul Rudd and, I don't know, Post Malone? Are you going to get Post Malone back for these... You know, if we're keeping Bebop and Rocksteady on, on like, the hero team, are we going to get John Cena in, like, a cartoon? I don't know. Like, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's, like, you stack the cast, dude. You lined yourself up for the, if you If you were planning on doing a show or a movie about the Mutanimals after this, maybe you should have aimed lower. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think we'll totally get Krang. Maybe at the end of movie two. Right? I really think Cynthia is going to turn out to be Krang or a Utrum. Like, it doesn't have to be Krang necessarily. Um, but I think that's definitely in the cards. The thing with Shrinter is... Shrinter. Jesus Christ. The thing with Shredder is, if we get him, are we getting the Foot Ninja Clan? You know, are we getting... Oh, yeah, Splinter, before you were a rat, you were actually, like, a super cool ninja dude in Japan and stuff. Like, are we going to get Reincarnation? Are we going to get Hamato Yoshi? Are we going to get Splinter's daughter, Karai? Because I think she could really work in this universe, too. Um, you know, she could she'd be someone else's love interest. But, you know, she could be this... T- oh, man. That would be fucking sick. Not that, you know, she hooks up with a turtle. But, like, you introduce Karai as a student at this school who befriends the turtles. And it's like, you know, she's taking attention away from April O'Neil... And the turtles are like, oh, April, don't be so jealous. Like, now that we're part of the public, like, we can't spend all of our time with you. And then it turns out, oh, no, Karai is actually Splinter's daughter. And she, you know, got into this school for the sole purpose of destroying the turtles from the inside. And now it's too late and, and April has to help the turtles before Splinter, or sorry, Shredder gets them. You could totally do that with Karai. That'd be, and, then, and then by the end, Karai, like helps the turtles and is like, fuck you, dad, I have friends now. That's totally what they're going to do if they do. If they use Karai, that'll be the way they do it. Absolutely. Um, and this might be unrelated to everything else, but I have to say this. There's a character named Yusagi uh, Yojimbo, who is a anthropomorphic rabbit, right? And he's from his own comic book series that was, you know had several crossovers with the Ninja Turtles. And basically, every version of the Turtles, like, like television show-wise, comic book-wise, I think he's in some of the video games, too. Yusagi is, like, a separate character from another comic that crosses over and works with the Turtles. And he's teamed up with Leonardo and stuff, too. 
Um, but he's a really interesting character. And, you know, you could do the thing where he's just another mutated animal. And maybe, like, he was shipped to Japan and became his own character over there. Or you do, you know, I don't really know what his origin story is in the comics. But you do his legitimate story from the comics. And then just have him, like, be, like, a, like show up in, like, a third or fourth movie. And be like, oh, yeah, I have my own adventures somewhere else. But uh, I'm here now to work with you, Turtles. Like, that could be kind of cool. I don't know. Like, we haven't really gotten Usagi in, like, a movie, basically. In a movie form. And, and you could do it where he's, like, a secondary character in these movies. Or he gets his own movie that's connected to these. But, um, you know, any way we can kind of show this character to more people would be really cool. He's like a samurai rabbit. Like, that's really... Like, I feel like that's not a hard sell for people. So, yeah, that is my review of Mutant Mayhem. I thought it was really good. You know, I think it had some little things that I didn't like. But, again, the majority of the movie, I had a good time. It was fun. It was funny. Um, I think a lot of the emotional bits hit really well. I'm really excited to see what this team does with another Turtles movie. Like, where they're going to go from here. Um, I'm hoping whatever they end up doing, they don't stray too far from, like, the the family element, the heart element of this. Um, maybe in the next one we get to kind of explore more of the relationship between the Turtles, you know, as brothers who are living their separate lives now, I guess. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I like this movie a lot. I had a lot of fun with it. I can't wait for more. Um, <clears throat> I definitely would recommend it if you were on the fence about seeing it or not. Uh, in terms of other stuff coming up, I think other than Loki Season 2, it's it's a pretty dry month. But, uh... Sorry, I'm getting a lot of messages. I'm part of a big group chat now, so I get those all the time. Um, but yeah, Loki Season 2 is the other thing coming up. Uh, I actually have a new book coming out at the end of this month. It is Halloween-themed. Uh, we'll see how well it does. If you want to hear more about that, I will share it on the Panelbiter Facebook page when it comes out. Um, I shared my books on there before, so you can also follow me on Amazon.com to uh, see my other books. See if you want to check them out. Um, other than that, thank you so much for supporting the Panelbiter throughout these years. Um, and as always, I will see you guys next time. Goodbye. <laughs>